Hello and welcome to I Really Wish You Hadn't. This is a podcast about people and businesses that have made horrible mistakes, have fallen apart at the seams, or have just been generally awful since their inception. They're the kind of people and businesses that make you think, man, I really wish you hadn't. Welcome back to I Really Wish You Had. I'm Kevin McMahon. I'm here with six-time sport champion Michael Bentley. I'm going to Disneyland. And as always, <laughs> our producer slash 2003 Wimbledon World Cup runner-up, Colin Moore. Yeah, I uh, play the tennis. That's Wimbledon, right? Yeah, yeah. Okay. So if <laughs> if you can't tell, today is Michael is talking about something with sports. And obviously, we are big sport dudes. Uh, we definitely watch a lot more sports than we do play Dungeons and Dragons. Very accurate. <laughs> I think I've been forced to watch more football than play Dungeons and Dragons. Not by choice. Like, I, I would much rather play Dungeons and Dragons. But I, I probably have watched more football than I've played Dungeons and Dragons. Full disclosure, I do. I do actually watch a bit of hockey. I enjoy some hockey. Well, Cayman, today we're not talking about hockey. We're talking about football. (laughs) I will reiterate, this is American football. This is not that European foot... This isn't that Euro trash. (laughs) I was trying to think of the most most reductive word to call European football, but it's simply called football. So... I Yeah, I I, I tried, and it just nothing... There was nothing to call it. Yeah. At least at least with like American football you can call it hand egg and it's kind of funny, but no. <laughs> Um so yeah, we're talking about American football today. Sorry to our uh international listeners. Um but I I want to say straight up, you do not need to know anything about football to get today's episode. Um I feel like some people may be upset that we do, we're not going to talk about any games. We're not going to talk about the like the performance of the players like it's just the business side of how this game is played. We will talk about the rules of the game a little bit and how that played into the entertainment value. Uh, but other than that, you don't need to know about American football at all to listen to this episode. How are we going to bust into the world of sports commentating if you're not even going to talk about the plays and stuff? Uh, we're, we're doing eSports ex- exclusively. So. Oh, okay. In the world of internet radio, you have to leave all avenues open. Uh, so we have to at least vaguely edit this to sound like we know what we're talking about with sports. Yeah. So I, I feel like this is pretty universally known, but I feel like I'll go ahead and say it. Um, the American football professional league is dominated by the national football league, the NFL. Um, and this is a David and Goliath story, uh, where the USFL is going to be the United States football league. I don't know if I've said that yet. Um, that's what we're talking about today. Um, the USFL is the David in that story, except David forgot his stones at home oh. and then just gets stomped over and over by Goliath. Oh. Uh, so before we get started, I want to acknowledge my source for this week's episode. Um, it's called Football for a Buck by Jeff Perlman. Uh, it's awesome. Loved it. Definitely check it out. Again, I don't think you need to know a whole lot about football to enjoy the book, but it does go more into the actual football side of this story. Um, most most of the material that I pulled was was kind of the more businessy things. What was that author's name? One more time. Uh, Jeff Perlman. 
Jeff Perlman. Yeah. Is it that's the guy from like uh, Sons of Anarchy, right? The guy from the Fallout games. That's Ron. That's that's Ron Perlman. Oh, that's, okay. Ron, that's Hellboy. Okay. Oh. Yeah. You didn't know he was Hellboy. Yeah. So Hellboy wrote this book on sports. That's what I'm trying to say. Yeah. Good. Hellboy wrote this book. Um, also check out Ron Perlman. He's a great actor. Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> so, uh, kind of just as like a intro, um, Cayman Colin and I do a, do a weekly movie night. Um, and we recently watched a low budget sci-fi movie, uh, that's just a ripoff of the movie Alien. <laughs> oh, it was so bad. Yeah. It was, it was pretty bad. And Forbidden so, world if you're interested. It has yeah, boobies in it though. It does. It was it does. barely not a porn. It was it was a it was a soft softcore porn, <laughs> and also a ripoff of Alien. If you've ever wanted to watch a mix of Alien and softcore porn, that was um, that was Forbidden Planet, uh, streaming right now on Amazon Prime. <laughs> the sets looked really nice when you just kind of like glanced at the screen, but as soon as you started to look closer, you realized that like they were made out of takeout containers that were just like oh, yeah. flipped inside the out. Egg crates, the egg crates on the walls. <laughs> e- egg crates, yes, they they like taped yeah, egg yeah. crates to the wall. But but like if you just glanced at it, it, it looked good, right? And you were like, oh, this uh, they, a lot wasn't of bad. Yeah, time and effort was put into this. <laughs> um, that's what the USFL is. It's it's the movie Alien. If the movie Alien is the NFL, then Forbidden World or Forbidden Planet, what was it called? Forbidden. Anyway, that's yeah. that's the USFL. When you glance at it, you're like, oh, this 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 could be the NFL. Like, yeah. I'd, <laughs> but then you like start to look closer, and you're like, oh 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 no. <laughs> See, now I feel like you're doing something bad because now you've given people incentive to go watch this movie to understand your metaphor and like. People should not be watching that movie. It's so it's so bad. I wouldn't recommend it. Yeah, no, don't 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 do it. Do not do it. it's 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 very very bad. Yeah. Um, this is not a movie podcast though. We, there's <laughs> enough of those already. Hey, we got to leave all the avenues open, Michael. Internet radio. We just talked about this. That's true. Yeah, we we got we got to set up the network. Um, but anyway, the story of the United States Football League starts as many great stories do with cable television. Mm. You see, in the late 70s and early 80s, television really started to come into its own. Um, You see, rather than having the three main network channels that had to cater to the whole family, networks could start to get really specific with their programming. Uh, For instance, you could make an entire channel devoted to nothing but sports content 24-7. Such was the case in 1979 with a new television station called ESPN. This massively scaled the market for professional sports content, which was highly beneficial for a man named David Dixon. Uh, Dixon wasn't... Really? I gotcha, David Dixon. Dixon. Is that all I have to do to make you laugh? Yeah, apparently. I put a lot of work into my jokes sometimes. (laughs) Yeah, it's the ones that you don't try for that are great. It's not even a joke, it's a man... Okay, anyway. (laughs) Dixon... Mm-hmm. was an antique salesman from New Orleans who knew his way around the world of professional football. Uh, he had previously brokered the creation of the New Orleans Superdome, as well as chartering the NFL team, the New Orleans Saints. And for years, Dixon had the dream of starting a football league that would play in the spring to act as a complement to the NFL's fall schedule. Um, that way, fans could enjoy football all year round. Uh, In fact, Dixon had actually gotten close about a decade prior in his attempt to strong-arm the NFL into bringing a team to New Orleans. Basically, he told the NFL, like, if you don't bring a team to New Orleans, I will start my own league, 
and he even had oh. investors like he got really really close like it, it came down to the last minute they were like whoa 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 we'll we'll make a team there and so he shut down the plans uh, i love it when people blackmail the nfl right <laughs> well you're <laughs> I, i'm glad because there's a lot of that oh uh yeah so 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 keep that in your back pocket um, but with the creation of ESPN and the rising demand for sports content, Dixon decided now was the best time to resurrect his spring football plans. And with that, the United States Football League was born. The plans for the league were fleshed out in a document that came to be known as the Dixon Plan. Uh, the Dixon Plan set up an annual team salary cap of $1.8 million. So basically, like, for the entire team, you need to keep under $1.8 million. And this was to keep costs low and to basically create more competition within, like, um, the teams. Because if, you know, you can't just scale your team up using money, right? You've got to kind of budget it out. If you've got a star player that's amazing, the rest of your team's probably not going to be as good because, you know, salary. I don't know if you got this information, but, like, comparably, do you have, like, what the NFL typically had for, like, a team budget so around this time? They didn't. they didn't have a cap. Um, right, they didn't have a cap. But I... We'll get into salary a little bit later. We can have that conversation later. The Dixon plan also set up a territorial draft so that hometown college favorites had a better chance to be drafted to their USFL counterpart. So, for instance, if someone was highly popular at the University of Tennessee, chances were better that they would go to the Memphis Showboats uh, as opposed to any other team. And this idea was to you know create a more fervent fandom uh, for, for local markets. Right. So, over the next two years, David Dixon recruited uh, essentially the Avengers of creating this football league. Um, he found a chairman for the league in Hall of Fame coach John Ralston, and he even convinced the acting COO of ESPN to be the commissioner for the league. Um, and conveniently, ESPN also agreed to give the USFL two primetime slots to televise games. Not saying that's related, I'm just saying that's also a thing that happened. <laughs> now, wait, was this... Did Disney own ESPN at this time, or did that no, come about this later? No, this is the start of ESPN. Well... Okay. Yeah, yeah, this is like when it first got going. I actually don't know much about ESPN. All I know now is that they run sports. They are sports. Right. Disney's too big. <laughs> Break up Disney. We'll Break up Disney. To, we'll have to do that episode at some point. Uh, but most importantly, Dixon found 12 wealthy people to agree to be owners in his new football league. And in 1982, Dixon announced to the world that football would be coming to their televisions the following spring. The only thing left to do was find some players. That seems like the hardest part. Well, we'll get into that. <laughs> well, and that's the thing, is they have a year. They have, He's like, oh yeah, we'll, we'll be on your screens next year. And then like, oh, we've got to find players. Yeah. Well, and that's the thing, is, like, where where do you find professional football players um, that aren't already in the NFL? Uh, and keep in mind, you have a limit of $1.8 million. So recruiters needed to get creative, and by creative, I mean desperate. Um, <laughs> so keep in mind, a team has 40 players on it, and there's 12 teams, so they had to find 480 people to play in their league. Um, so teams generally held camps in metro locations where they could scout local talent. Um, but in the frenzy of signing people, things got bungled. Um, like for instance, there was one guy who figured out that the way that they were like deciding who got contracts is a guy would walk up and be like, Hey, you need to go see that guy at that table over there to, and he'll sign you up with a contract. Well, he saw all this happening. He was awful. Like they were like, we don't want that guy. 
um, and they told him to leave, but he walked up to the table and was like, hey, they told me to come over here. And he was like, oh, okay, cool. And he signed him <laughs> up for the team. Oh, vigilance is important. They did They did figure out their mistake before the first game, but I'm pr- I think there was a roster printed that had him on it. Um, so yeah, you just gotta, yeah, pay attention and look, carry a clipboard and people will let you go wherever you want. Mm. The, uh, Chicago team, the Blitz, um, decided to check out a lead on, uh, a letter they got from a prison inmate, uh, who wrote to them saying he was eligible for work release and very good at football. Uh, they didn't end up signing him, but that, that's where we are on the desperation scale. Um, they were willing to charter a guy from a local prison. Honestly, I don't think that that's that bad of a plan. Have you seen that movie, uh, The Longest Yard? Yeah, yeah. I was about to say that. <laughs> <laughs> Those guys were pretty good. It's a good movie, and it's uh, the, the Adam Sandler one's a remake of uh, a Burt Reynolds movie. Yeah, yeah. Keep Burt Reynolds in your mind. Yeah. Okay. Things weren't all bad, though, uh, because, I mean, you got to consider how many college players get passed up every year by the NFL that are still amazing athletes. They're just not NFL level. Um, right. And this new league gave them an opportunity to play professional football. It's not like, you know, we have a ragtag team of, of nobodies out there. Like, these are still good college players that just didn't get that opportunity. And some of them could have played in the NFL. Like, just circumstance, they didn't get drafted. One more question, and if we're going to get to this later, you can just say pass, and okay. we'll get to it when we get to it. Was the CFL around at this time? Yes, yes. The Canadian okay. Football League was pretty big. Uh, pretty big. Not... They were they were the B team. Um, well, that's the and, thing. I like not only are you having to compete with the NFL, but I know like a lot of people that are like pretty good, but don't make the cut for the NFL. Go to the CFL. So yeah. what are you getting like the C listers? <laughs> yeah, well, that's the thing too. Is is but I, most most players, you know, I mean, they don't want to go to Canada. That, right. I, that's it's not a joke like I you know but I mean to uproot from your country and move to another country like that's a big commitment whereas you know if you already live in you know San Antonio and yeah. you know the gunslingers start up you might go try out and if you get it awesome now I'm a professional football player yeah. um also we have better food <laughs> I don't know I've never been to Canada I've I heard poutine's say. pretty good uh it's it's fries and gravy right <laughs> it's it's that good awesome. but it's like it's like oh yeah butter's good <laughs> yeah butter's butter's awesome it's not good for you you can't just eat poutine all the time i mean maybe you can't <laughs> <laughs> your shits would be rocks oh uh, anyway uh once the teams were adequately filled with players uh training camps commenced and again the issue is there was little time and little money to put anything together So a lot of corners got cut, and many teams ended up practicing at high school and sometimes even elementary school fields um, with very limited equipment. Um, But again, most players didn't care. This was their professional football dreams coming true. Like, whatever it takes, they'll do it. Now, would they play scrimmages against the elementary school teams? (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Six children died. Don't laugh. (laughs) Um... At the end of the recruiting season, it was obvious that the USFL was no threat to the NFL. Um, They scooped up the leftovers and the B team, or I guess, as we just talked about, maybe the C team, stragglers that the NFL and the CFL left behind. That was until the USFL snagged Herschel Walker. 
Herschel Walker was an amazing college junior who had just won the Heisman Trophy. And for those that don't know, the Heisman Trophy is the highest honor that you can receive in college football. Uh, also, for those that don't know, college juniors are not eligible to join the NFL. The USFL, on the other hand, has no such restriction. Walker's family was in need of money, and they were afraid that another year playing college football would uh, result in an injury for Walker. Or You know, anything can go wrong. Right. He could not get drafted. So when this contract opportunity comes up with the USFL, Walker's family encouraged him to go ahead and take it. The New Jersey Generals offered Walker a cool $5 million over three years, making him the highest paid player not in the USFL, but in the world of professional football. Wow. Yeah. That is wild. Like I said, you know, when you were asking about contracts, like, were, were the NFL play, paying more? Maybe. But when it came to the stars, the USFL, they, they needed that clout, right? Like, because, you know, but Herschel Walker... But that team blew most of their budget on Herschel Walker. They blew Walker. all of their budget on it. So, <laughs> what happens now? We need more money. Well, conveniently, they never voted on the salary cap. It was more seen as a gentleman's agreement. So the New Jersey team snagged Herschel Walker with their entire budget and then just threw the the cap out the window. And that's going to basically be one of the main reasons that things get out of hand. Crazy. (laughs) <laughs> my next part was about if you're quick at math, you maybe think, yeah, good job, Cayman. You're 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 doing great. Um, <laughs> well, blowing past that section of my notes. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So as we head into the first season, uh, let's talk about the fact that this league was designed to be a television sport. Um, you know, football was made a long time ago. Uh, before before television was 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 in mind, right? So a lot of the rules of the NFL right. were made to be a spectator sport, whereas this league was designed to be televised. Therefore, they changed some of the rules uh, from the way that the NFL plays, such as, and this is the one time I'm going to talk about, you know, the actual game of football. So close your ears if you if you don't care about this part. Um, but they implemented the two point conversion from the college football rule book, which at the time was not being used by the NFL. Extra point mm. kicks only. Yeah. They were the first league to allow an instant <clears throat> replay challenge on a on a call. What year you know, was this? This was 1983. Hmm. Because, you know, the idea of implementing the tele, you know, the the filming of games it never either never came to the minds of the NFL or was seen as like. Yeah, a, it wasn't like a core component. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like that's not like this is a field sport, not a. You know, whatever. But now it's it's commonplace, right? You can you can call yeah. the instant replay. Um, this was the first time that was being done, and also to make games more exciting, the USFL would stop the clock uh, if you got a first down after the two minute warning. So you know, as you're getting closer to the end of the game, stop the clock more, build the tension. Yeah. And most importantly of all, players would be allowed to celebrate a touchdown any way they wanted to. Except throwing the balls into the crowds. That you would still get fined for because they didn't have the money to buy the balls. <laughs> I thought it was more of like, you know, liability. Nah. Oh, I guess you're talking about like lobbing the football out up like lightly, not just like chucking it. Into no, the they, they chucked them. They chucked them hard. <laughs> and, and, and like that, that kind of became the thing of the league. 
uh, in an advertisement, an executive of the league said, The thing about living in the United States is that it allows you freedom of choice. And if you become bored of something because it's grown tired and predictable, you can choose something else. And the United States Football League is something else. <laughs> so, like, it's all about, you know, letting letting people do whatever they want. Like, this is this is a entertainment first and foremost. Right. And with all this, they wanted to brand the NFL as the No Fun League. Now, all of this was good for television ratings, but while we're talking about television, let's talk about blackout clauses, which is something I didn't know about going into this. I still don't know about it. Yeah, so the NFL has negotiated blackout clauses with television stations, saying that if games don't sell 85% of their tickets within 72 hours of the game, they won't be televised. Now, this serves two purposes. Number one, it helps in-person attendance because, you know, if people don't buy tickets, we're not showing the games online. So if you want to see the game, buy a ticket. Um, and number two, it prevents everyone at home from seeing a game that has an empty stadium. Right. Um, that's just not a good look. Now, that's that being said, watched this year. Yeah. <laughs> well, no, even even still, no, they, they put like the digital the people. Poster or like, people and it's, yeah. it's not a good look. They do not want to be seen with an empty stadium. It's right. just it's not good for this for the for the optics, I guess. Yeah. Now, all that being said, the USFL did not negotiate for a blackout clause. And it just kind of turned into this perpetual cycle where, you know, this is a startup league. They don't have diehard fans. They don't have any fans. People just right. found out about it. So, yeah. you know, they're they're doing their best, but they're not going to have great attendance. So people see empty stadiums and they think, oh, man, this league kind of sucks. So, you know, it creates a perpetual cycle of, like, low ratings and low attendance. Yeah. So the first season was pretty uneventful by USFL standards um, and ended in a championship game in Denver, Colorado. And this was seen as the USFL's big moment um, because at the time, the Super Bowl that the NFL puts on every year, you know, in the mid 80s was seen as kind of boring. Like most of the time, one team dominated. Um, there wasn't a whole lot of good play or anything like that. So most people didn't even tune into the Super Bowl. It wasn't seen as this huge advertising opportunity that it is today. So the USFL was like, okay, this is going to be where we outshine the NFL. And no expense was spared. Members of the press were flown in and treated to a cocktail party with league executives. And that week, the entirety of the United States sports world had its eyes fixated on Denver, Colorado. But that's not because of the USFL. You see, the legendary NFL player John Elway had just been traded to the Denver Broncos. Mm. When this news broke, many of the press members that were there to like be part of the USFL's activities uh, left oh. to go to the Broncos facility, most of the time in cars rented for them by the USFL. Oh, no. Oh, yeah. no. Yeah. It's like inviting some friend to your birthday party and then he starts kissing the girl that you have a crush on. Yeah, and then he's like, hey, do you mind if I take this cake home? <laughs> oh, poor USFL. Right? And, and the, like, I, there's no way the USFL planned for that, but, like, it's hard to think. Like, it's just such a perfect storm yeah. of, like, they wouldn't trade John Elway to the Broncos just to spite the USFL, but, like... The timing, maybe? I don't know. Maybe they waited to announce it. Anyway, it's just a bad look. 
Um, so, but despite the setback, the championship game between the Michigan Panthers and the Philadelphia Stars was a nail-biter. Uh, the Panthers took home the win and received a congratulatory call from Ronald Reagan from a board Air Force One, which, you know, is a big deal. Like, that's that yeah. lends a lot of credence to your league. <laughs> and, you know... But they didn't get to go have McDonald's at the White House? <laughs> uh, hamburgers? <laughs> uh, no, they didn't. But mm. the uh, the championship was what the USFL wanted it to be. It was exciting. It was way better than any Super Bowl had been in recent years. It was so exciting, in fact, that the crowd uh, of 2,000 fans rushed onto the field and started trying to tear down goalposts. Now is probably a good time to mention that free beer was handed out in the parking lot before the game. Ooh. And normally, uh, sports sporting events will cut off the sale of alcohol in like the fourth quarter. Right. They didn't do that. So nice. you got a crowd of drunken, like frenzied fans rushing the field, uh, and the Denver police had to get involved and started riot control. And I feel like I don't have to explain what that looks like, unfortunately. <laughs> but if you're listening to this in a better time, in a better place, uh, that looks like pepper spray, canine units, assault on both sides. Not not a good look. Um, not a good way to end your first season as a football league. Uh, in total, 12 people were arrested. And, um, I mean, I guess it made for good news, though, right? Yeah, definitely. Any publicity is good publicity. I just imagine this is all like that Will Ferrell, like, semi-pro movie. Like, the entire time they're, like, trying to rip down the goalposts. And they're like, we can't afford to replace them. Please don't. Yeah. Well, and what's funny is, like, I have to think that Semi-Pro was partially based on this because that's basically what this was, right? Like, the, if you yeah. remember the plot of the movie, the NBA is going to, you know, is is the big bad. And, like, they're, they're trying to figure out, like, who's um, no. good enough to play in that league. Now, wait a second. Did you say that the game that year was between someone and the Panthers? Yeah, the Michigan Panthers. The Michigan Panthers. Oh, so not related to the Carolina Panthers. Yeah, the Carolina Panthers weren't a thing yet. Okay. But, and I didn't have this in my notes, but while we're talking about names, uh, something that I found really funny is the Oakland Raiders had recently left Oakland um, right. to go play in a different city. I can't remember which one. Um, so the USFL started up the Oakland Invaders. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Yeah. It's really just, it's all off-brand, like, cereal. That's what Well, and what's is. funny about the Michigan Panthers, while we're talking about names, is um, they were they were in uh, Detroit. And so they were like, okay, the Lions, Big Cat, we also want a Big Cat, so oh. they went with the Panthers. Yeah. Hmm. So, so wait, you said Tennessee had a team, right? Tennessee, the, uh, the Memphis Showboats. Yeah. 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 Did, I wonder where they play. I meant to look that up. Uh, probably Liberty Bowl. Uh, pyramid in the mud. <laughs> they did not play in the pyramid. <laughs> At the Bass Pro Shop. <laughs> um. But it's funny because we also had the, um, we had an XFL team here before they folded. The Memphis Express. Yeah. Well, and yeah. there's the LA Express and the USFL. Oh. Uh, we'll, we'll talk a lot about the LA Express. Okay. So, going into the second season, many owners started looking at their finances and saw that they had lost money in the first season, which was to be expected. This is a new league, and owning a sports team takes years of dedication to turn a profit. Like, for most, it's kind of seen like owning a sports team is an expensive hobby that the uber-rich get to have. I mean, even still, owning a business, like, 
yeah. sometimes takes years to make a profit. Exactly. But the monetary loss spooked a lot of owners, and they decided to expand for the second season from 12 teams to 18 teams. This is pretty universally seen as one of the worst decisions ever made by the USFL, because this diluted the market in terms of increased number of games that would be played, and now there's more teams competing for dedicated fans. Yeah, competing for, I'm sure, merchandise sales exactly. are still like, yeah. Like, you're, you're just, you're, you're making, you don't want to give people choices. No. You know, and, and expansion, like, you don't want to expand, like, 12 to 18, that's a 50% increase. Yeah. Like, you want to expand a couple teams at a time. Um, and also consider the raised overhead of traveling to six new cities. Like, yeah, there, it, was a, it was a bad move. Yeah. So why did they do it? Well, there was the idea that six new metros would create new TV markets. Because remember, most games weren't being televised nationally. nationally. Right. Yeah. There's TV markets that you have to figure out. Um, so, so expanding into six new metros, that was seen as a good move. But more importantly, <laughs> it meant six new rich owners were coming in at a price of $6 million apiece. It was a quick cash injection at the cost of devaluing their product. It doesn't look like it's going to go anywhere good. Yeah, <laughs> which you know these podcasts typically don't. But yeah, that, if, look if there, look if there's a topic that we're covering, it's not going to end well, <laughs> unless it's exclusively. And I'm really glad you did. Sometimes which this one is not. Right. Yeah, it doesn't seem uh, like it is. Okay, now Jerry Seinfeld has a funny bit saying that sports fandom is all about cheering for laundry. Like, if you're a Lakers fan and LeBron James gets traded to the Bucks, you're going to hate LeBron James. You're not a LeBron James fan. You're a Lakers fan, which means you're going to cheer for whoever's in that purple jersey. Right. You're a fan of clothes. You're a fan of laundry. Well, that's a funny bit. And, like, one of my favorite Jerry Seinfeld bits. But that concept was taken to its inevitable conclusion after the first season of the USFL. The owner of the Chicago Blitz was a man who lived in Phoenix, Arizona and was tired of traveling to Chicago for appearances. So he devised a plan with the owner of the Arizona Wranglers to trade their entire rosters to each other. The Wranglers became the Blitz, and the Blitz became the Wranglers. Literally, the entire team was traded to the other team. Hilarious. Well, also, this is is for the second season? This is for season two, yes. So for (laughs) everyone in your city that has, like gotten into it is coming to the games has bought jerseys all that stuff completely new they're, team. Like, they're not complete... trading names it's oh, just okay play- so it's still it's the just same players team. yeah yeah i'm sorry okay. when i say yeah yeah no it's just it's just players okay the jerseys are the same but even still well, i mean the know, jerseys if, have if, a if name one, on the back though i was about to say yeah, yeah whatever name you got on the back which i don't think we had gotten to that point yet in merchandise maybe uh, maybe i don't know okay but um but yeah so it's just it's just the players but again it's not like you moved from like L.A. to, you know, even Portland. Like, you're moving from Chicago to Phoenix, Arizona. Even think about climate. Like, (laughs) Uh, anyway. What year is it right now? Uh, This would have been 83 to 84. This is the, like, uh, you know, in between those two seasons. This is a long time ago. Like, I know that, like, 83, 84 is not, like, that long, that long. But you got to think, like, Imagine promoting a new sports league like you don't have the internet. Mm-hmm. You have to do everything word of mouth. You can't really. I, I mean, I guess it was probably being promoted on ESPN and things like that. Um, 
but I, I see this as being a lot more difficult <laughs> than it would be today. Yeah, well, the fact the fact that this wasn't like, I mean, you know, this would be major news now, and like it'd be easy to find, but like the yeah. fact that people don't know, hold on, like this 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 is not over. So they trade the teams. Also of note, the Chicago team, awesome. They were doing great. The Phoenix team sucked really, really <laughs> bad. So when they traded, you know, if you were a Chicago team a fan, you were like, yeah, we got a great team. I'm a big fan. And then you get just crap. You know it's crap. You're, gonna, yeah. you're not going to go to any more games. You're going to be like, what What are we even doing here? Mm -hmm. uh, more importantly, the new Chicago Blitz that now sucked hired a new head coach who hadn't heard the news. Mm. So he thought he was getting a top-level team, and he showed up, and he's like, who are you guys? <laughs> <laughs> who are you guys? Exactly. It gets, it gets worse. Hold on. This isn't over. It's th There's more. Mm. On top of that, the new crappy Chicago Blitz go and play their first game, and after it's over, the owner of the new Blitz... Uh, goes. Yeah, I don't. I don't think this is for me. And walks out. Like the owner just. They never see him again. Like he just like left the company, or like left uh, the. Like did he sell it or did he just? No. Stop. He just left. He just left. What? Yeah. How wealthy was this guy? I don't know. Doesn't matter. <laughs> wealthy enough that he could be like. Meh. Well, I mean, it didn't matter. It was just like, I'm done. And he walked out. He, they never saw him again. They never saw another dollar from him. Um, yeah. The USFL didn't know what to do. So <laughs> they just they just gave the team literally enough money to just keep operations going. Hmm. And the Chicago Blitz wouldn't make it past season two. Oh. Um, <laughs> so this was stupid. Of, I'm done. Cut it. Yeah, cut, cut this one. We'll, we'll scrap the whole thing. Um... <laughs> So anyway, speaking of teams changing hands, two very important sales took place heading into the 1984 season. The first sale was of the Los Angeles Express uh, being sold to an eccentric banker named William Oldenburg. Um, he was known to get drunk and say things like, quote, If you want to boogie woogie with the king of rock and roll, you better bring some dancers. End quote. <laughs> That's actually good because I maybe it was just after our last episode, but I really thought that you were gonna say, "Yeah, you used to get drunk and say like racist stuff." Uh, yeah, I I could have. Well, not him specifically. There's there's some stuff like that in the book. If you read it, I I cut all that. Good. Uh, I didn't want to double up on that kind of thing. Yeah, it's America. <laughs> yeah, it's it's also <laughs> yeah, it's the '80s football. Like anyway, now. As we talked about previously, the New Jersey Generals had already signed Herschel Walker. Uh, so Oldenburg wanted, you know, that star-level player for the Los Angeles Express. And Oldenburg set his sights on Brigham Young University quarterback Steve Young. But because Young was NFL eligible, Oldenburg was going to need to compete with NFL opportunities. As such, Young walked away with a $40 million contract to be paid over 10 years. What? So that's $4 million a year. Remember, just one year ago, Herschel Walker got $1.6 million a year, and he was the highest paid player in professional football. Young now has $4 million a year. That's insane. That's wild. Right? And this guy was Brigham Young's grandson? Is that what you said? <laughs> no, he's, his name's Steve Young. I actually did. I looked up to see if he was any relation. Oh, yeah. Mormons. I mean, probably, right? I mean, who knows? Down the line. Probably. But, um... So, 
That was the first sale, the the sale to uh, to Oldenburg. The second sale was of the New Jersey Generals being sold to a real estate mogul in New York named Donald Trump. Never heard of him. That's right, boys and girls, strap in. You didn't know. We're getting political this week. I have no idea who that is. Wah, wah. He's, <laughs> he gets involved in politics later. Oh. But I, I will say this episode's not going to get political. Donald Trump is a major part of the story. Um, but this is all pre-politics, Donnie. Um, but if you cannot bear to hear criticism of Donald Trump, um, turn off the podcast because he's he's heavily involved in the <laughs> in the decisions that lead to this uh, this whole thing blowing up. Oh wow! Also, I will say this episode's coming out on uh, January twentieth, um, the day that Donald Trump re-enters Ooh. the the uh, the world of private business. So uh, if he calls you up saying he wants to start a business, keep this episode in mind. See, on the day that we're recording this, it's the 9th of January, and nothing substantial has happened so far this year. <laughs> nah. <laughs> just, uh, just a... Uh, normal normal yeah. old... Uh, normal stuff. Just normal just stuff. Run of the mill. Anyway, so, Donald Trump's motivation can't be said for certain, but it's generally agreed upon that his goal was to get a team in the NFL. Um, He claims that he had the opportunity to buy NFL teams prior, but that claim is refuted by the NFL. Regardless, Donald Trump takes every opportunity he gets to antagonize the NFL. He claimed that the USFL had teams that could easily beat NFL teams uh, and started telling the press Mm -hmm. that the USFL was making plans to play football in the fall to take the NFL on. Mm. Most USFL executives found out about these plans when they read it in the newspaper. Ugh. Now, say what you will about Donald Trump, and believe me, I have a lot that I could say about him. I'm not a fan of the man, but he is a great salesman. Like, he can convince people of things. So bit by bit, he started to convince USFL executives that the move to fall was not only beneficial, but it was the only thing that was going to keep the league alive. Now, this is because throughout the second season, it became apparent that the league was not sustainable at the rate that it was attempting to grow. What didn't help any of this was the fact that that new L.A. Express owner, uh, William Oldenburg, uh, you know, the the, wants to boogie-woogie with the king of rock and roll. Right. uh, He was being investigated by the FBI for fraud and was effectively broke. Like, he he had none of the money that he said he had. (laughs) I am not surprised at all. So, yeah, he would set up shell corporations and then sell worthless land to them for, like, insane money. Like, he was, like, money long. I don't... I don't know yeah. enough about it to say what he was doing, but the money well, he had was not his. Anyone that walks into a room and says something about Boogie Woogie and with the King of Rock and Roll, I'm going to be like, that guy is committing some sort of insurance fraud. <laughs> Unless they're Elvis. Even Elvis is pretty sketchy. So, Oldenburg didn't even make it a full season before his lawyers informed the USFL that Oldenburg was not able to pay any of his bills, including his player salaries. Ooh. Player salaries, including Steve Young, who he just signed for $40 million over the next 10 years. Right, yeah. Mm -hmm. And in total, Express players were still owed roughly $7 million for this season alone. Remember, one year ago, everyone had a gentleman's agreement to keep things to $1.6 million. Yeah. Total. Yeah. So, just like the situation in Chicago, the USFL had an owner that just walked away, leaving the league holding the bag, and more importantly, the bill. Also keep in mind, the three big markets for the USFL were Chicago, Los Angeles, and New Jersey. Or New York, I mean, 
I, I'm going to get a lot of flack for saying that they're the same thing, but they're the same thing. They're real close. Yeah. So with Chicago and L.A. ownerless and completely out of the way, Donald Trump's power and influence grew immensely. Like, basically, he was the major player of all the owners. He got so much power. Like, the highest power. <laughs> like the executive power? Like the executive power. Like executive privilege? Yeah. Um, <laughs> and with that power and influence, Donald Trump convinced the league to vote to make their third season in 1985 their last season to be played in the spring. They would be taking on the NFL head-on and playing at the same time in the fall. Now, the problem with that is, many of these teams were playing in NFL stadiums, <laughs> and they had no mm. plan for how that was going to work logistically. There were so many issues with this, and we'll get into it more later, um, but... None of that was thought out. Was the original guy who started the league no longer involved with the league? So he had the opportunity to start his own team uh, that he mm -hmm. sold to someone else and basically washed his hands clean of it. He got his money and got out. <sighs> okay. Um, and I think it was mostly because he didn't like the way things were going. Like, he didn't have the power to... Like, he wasn't the commissioner. He wasn't... Like, he put it in the hands of people he thought could handle it. Like I said, he put together an Avengers-level team of executives that should have handled this. And they didn't. So, the I mean, owner... I just feel like if you had, like, released a survey or anything... And, like, asked people, like, do you want someone else to come in and compete with the NFL... Who is going to say yes? Who, like, actually wants another league to come well, compete with Well, what's NFL? funny is they commissioned um, a consulting group to do the study and figure out what the right move was. And they said, if you want to move to the fall, fine, but you don't have the power to do it right now. Like, basically, if you think of it as a video game, they just started. They're, they're very low level, and they're trying to go fight the final boss. Like, if you want to do that, you need to build up your fans. You need to build up your influence. You need to sell some t-shirts. Like, if you want to do this, you need to wait. Like, you are not ready yet. Um, and Donald Trump basically said that th it was a lie. Like, that's not how this works. And he said that uh, not only... Do uh will will we be broadcasted? Television wants us to go head to head with them. They think it's going to be great for ratings and all this stuff. They and said it couldn't be done. We have the biggest and best yeah. football yes. league. Yes, that, but unironically. All right. So as part of Trump's plan to take on the NFL, he filed an antitrust lawsuit claiming that the NFL had a monopoly on the three major television networks when it came to fall football. The suit alleged damages of $440 million, which under the Sherman Antitrust Act would be tripled to $1.3 billion. And I didn't know that about antitrust law, but your damages get tripled under it. Hmm. This was crucial for the league because upon the announcement, the networks told the USFL that they hated the idea of the leagues directly competing, despite Trump telling other executives before the vote that he had already talked to the other networks and they preferred the USFL to play in the fall. There was also the issue that the Houston Gamblers, the Denver Gold, and the Tampa Bay Bandits all had to play their games in the same cities as established NFL teams, and most of them in the same stadiums. None of those games sounded cool. None of the names or sounded none cool? Of those, none of those teams sounded cool. Houston Gamblers, I think, sounds pretty cool. Houston Gamblers? Tampa Bay Bandits. We'll talk about why they're awesome. Okay. All right. We'll talk you, about you, it. You I, will imagine, I imagine you will change Houston your mind Gamblers. about Tampa Bay Bandits. 
Okay. okay. I promise. If you don't, if you don't, I will give you a dollar. Wow, a dollar. Well, now I'm excited. And this wasn't inside knowledge. Everyone could see the writing on the wall, from the coaches to the players to the fans. It it was hard to have enthusiasm for a team that might not exist a year from now. Right. Uh, and as such, many players started to look for alternative placement, such as the Canadian Football League, and for a lucky few, the NFL. Um, basically, they're like, we're if we move to the fall, we're dead. Also, you need to consider that at the end of the 1985 season, they're not going to play again until the fall of 86. That's 14 months without playing, which, I mean, for some players is is crazy. Like, they're, they're like, no, if I'm going to do this, I'm going to just go play in the fall. Uh, you know, they're doubling up on the season, but like, why not? I feel like, coincidentally, I have unique insight on this. Like, do you talk about the XFL at all? Am I going to be no, stepping on your toes? No, go for it. So... Uh, like this has been like a year or so ago. Um, we had an XFL team that I talked about the Memphis express come to Memphis. And the thing is like people would go see it and they're like, Oh yeah, we should go see like the XFL, like the Memphis express play before it goes out of business. (laughs) It just started. People were like, yeah, we should go check that out before it's gone. And like, that was the attitude the entire time. And like, no one was like buying any merchandise or anything. Cause we were, Everyone just knew like the NFL and the XFL was another one of those like spring football things, yeah. um, but it did eventually get bought by someone. It didn't really exactly go out of business like like I think that the um, USFL did, but pretty similar story. Yeah, well, and, and to your point of like not buying merchandise and stuff, um, you know, with this decreased enthusiasm from fans, it just kind of caused an economic depression within the league. Um, there were teams that literally couldn't afford transport uh, to to their games and, more importantly, from their games. Um, at one point, the San Antonio gunslingers were stranded in Florida after a check bounced, and the Texas lieutenant governor had to agree to pay for their plane trip home. <laughs> Get out of here. <laughs> and obviously, if they couldn't afford transport, they definitely couldn't afford salaries. Uh one payday, the gunslinger's president crawled out of his office window to avoid an entire team of pissed off pro football players. Mm. That's good. <laughs> it got to the point that when checks did come, players would literally get in their cars and race to the bank still in their pads because basically only the first couple people that tried to cash it would succeed. You know, if you got there last, right. your check was bouncing. Absolutely. Yeah. Now, keep all of that in mind, um, as I tell the story of Greg Fields. Greg Fields started out in the NFL on the roster of the Colts and later the Atlanta Falcons. However, for reasons I couldn't find in my research, the Falcons decided to cut Fields from their roster. In response, Fields locked himself in the training facility, and it took an armed police officer to remove Fields, and he was blacklisted from the NFL. Hell yeah. It's metal. But guess who came knocking one year later? Um, Donald Trump? No, just the USFL in general. Oh, just the USFL. Uh, just, okay. just actually the LA Express, but this is the old LA Express. I don't think Olden Oldenburg was around at the time. Gotcha. So Fields attended training for the LA Express for a while until it was decided that, you know, he didn't quite meet the standards. He's a little slower than everybody else. Like, we've got better players. Um, So they decided to cut him, which has a track history of not going well. <laughs> Uh, Fields was called into the head coach's office, 
and upon receiving the news, Fields slammed the his office door shut and punched the head coach in the face. Um, they start fighting, and people have to come in and break up the fight, uh, and they, they send him off. They escort him off the premises. So I'm going to huh. do my like amateur psychological okay. evaluation right now. Yeah. Fields may have had a bit of a temper problem. You think so? <laughs> a little bit, yeah. Well, yeah, so as they were escorting him out. off, he said he was going to come back and kill the head coach. Um, oh! So they actually hired Liberace's bodyguard to, like, track him? It's, it's like a Liberace story. the piano like, player. Like Liberace the piano player, yes. What? He, he, yeah, what is this he, story? What are you telling me I, right I, now? I, look, I, I've cut a lot from this story, okay? This seems like <laughs> a fever dream. Okay, so, so Liberace's <laughs> bodyguard is following... Greg Fields, because he's like, we got to make sure he doesn't murder anyone. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, and then two weeks later, uh, Fields signed a contract with the San Antonio Gunslingers. <laughs> so he wasn't blacklisted no. after punching a coach and threatening to kill him. Yes, and they had to hire a bodyguard to track him to make sure he wouldn't kill him. No anybody. rules in the U.S. Gunslingers hired him. Not only that, but when Fields walked into the Gunslingers facility, all the coaches were wearing helmets and pads, and they had a framed newspaper clipping from where he punched the old head coach in the face. <laughs> the irony of him threatening to kill them and then getting picked up by the Gunslingers is yep. hilarious. Yep. So... Let's fast forward back to where we were previously with the gunslingers not being able to pay players. Can you see where this is going? Oh. Yeah. Does Greg end up killing someone? Hold on. <laughs> okay. okay. <laughs> <laughs> so one of these players that can't get paid is named Greg Fields. Mm -hmm. uh, when he doesn't get paid, he follows the team owner home with a baseball bat and demands his payment. The owner goes inside, comes back out with $17,000 in cash, and nobody ever sees Greg Fields again. What? Like, no one ever sees him, like, in sports? or like No one ever sees just... him in sports. He does okay. get interviewed for the book. Um, okay. Which, again, okay, check I was out about the book. Say. There's, there's so much good stuff in here. I mean, I that's not that bad. I kind of... I, f I feel Greg Fields there. He's like, "Yo, where's my money?" Yeah, but but I'm sure the I'm sure the owner knew the story. So when Greg, F you shouldn't threaten people with a bat. Well, that's the thing is like, he followed him home. It was nighttime. He followed him home and like parked a couple blocks away. So like, this wasn't just like a. He's like, know, I'm gonna kill you right now. Yeah, like like you're money. giving me the money or you're gonna die. Like I, again, I'm putting words in his mouth. I can't say what would have happened that night. But that is the implication. Or, or, I mean, do you think the owner, like, already had $17,000, like, sitting somewhere? Or, he had like, to when have. They... I mean, like, he went well, inside and pulled out seventeen grand in cash. Who has that? It might have been a plan in, clay, in case fucking Greg Fields ever comes <laughs> to the house. That's <laughs> what I'm saying. Great, like, did he glass like... in case of Greg Fields. <laughs> it's clearly, if you're if you're an owner of a, of a massive football team, that's how much cash you just gotta have laid around your Apparently. house. Apparently. I could probably find like 35 bucks in this place, but if you own a team, it's more like yeah, 17 Yeah, you scale 000. it up. Yeah, yeah. When, when you, uh, yeah. He found it in the seat cushions. Yeah. You know when, like, someone comes up to you at a gas station and is like, yeah, dude, I'm trying to get, you know, the next city over. Like, I need a few bucks. And you're like, yeah, I got, like, a dollar twenty and change here. Do you yeah. think the coach of that team was just like, let's see what I got. And so I have, like, 
seventeen thousand? Does that do something? Is that Come is that on. enough? Come on, you, <laughs> you know he doesn't give to homeless people. <laughs> yeah, no. he doesn't even give to his employees. You don't know who he is. <laughs> we don't even know who this owner is. He could be a really good guy. He could be a real good. He guy. might be. He might be. Now, that incident where the gunslingers couldn't fly home was not isolated to just the gunslingers. Uh, the LA Express had the same thing happen, and at one point they almost missed a game because the bus driver pulled over and said, I'm not moving this bus until I get paid. Um, and that actually happened a couple times. Like, the, the pilot would say, I'm not pulling off the tarmac until I get payment. Because um, yeah. most char- char- uh, flights were chartered. And, like... I don't know how to tell you that things were imploding any more than the fact that some games almost weren't played because <laughs> they couldn't get there. Players were having daily votes to decide if they were even going to keep playing or not. Like, they're like, we're never going to see payment for this, so what's the point? Why are we even doing this? <laughs> Regardless, the league made it to the finish line in the third season, and after the 1985 championship, all eyes were on the courts. And I will say, so for the third and final season, sorry, spoilers, um, yeah, at, for the you know for that first season they got a call from Ronald Reagan. Well, Ronald Reagan's still president for the third season. Uh, for that season, they get to meet uh, George H. W. Bush. So they got downgraded Ooh. to vice president. No, I know, well, but it's okay. Like, but it's a call from Reagan or uh, meeting the vice president. That's, yeah, I'd rather I'd rather get bad. the call. I'd rather get the call from Reagan. I think. Actually, I I, I don't want either of them because they're both probably going to be in an episode at some point. But H. W. Seems. Nice. He's aside nice. From I'm, work. Sure he's nice. Yeah. I'm sure he's he nice. He's real guy. nice. Wait, did he die recently? Yeah, I'm pretty sure. I can't. So many people have died. I I can't keep up. But yeah, he seemed nice. Yeah. So anyway, let's talk about the lawsuit. So as a reminder, the allegations from the USFL was that the NFL had a monopoly on the three major networks that were televising their games. And in a damning piece of evidence, the NFL had documented their attempt to bid up players to bankrupt the USFL. And they had even hired a Harvard business professor to strategize how to conquer their competitor. The evidence against them was so damning that many legal counselors encouraged the NFL to settle the case out of court. But the only thing stopping them was the idea that if they settled this case, another league would just uh, pop up and do the same thing. You know, if they know they're going to get a payout, just sue again. Yeah, it makes sense. So the lawsuit commenced, and while the USFL painted a David and Goliath story where the underdog was crushed under the weight of the establishment, the USFL alleged that the only thing holding back the USFL was its own incompetence. And also that this whole operation was an attempt for Donald Trump to get a team in their league through a merger. And to back that up, the defense had multiple instances where Donald Trump had referenced the idea of a merger or put together a merger strategy um, he had met with Pete Rizal, who was the uh, NFL commissioner, and allegedly they had talked about like uh, doing a merger with the USFL and keeping like three teams and cutting the rest. Yeah. So, did Trump ever try to buy an NFL team? And oh, wait, yeah, you mentioned he, that. Yeah. So he tried to yeah. buy one. He just couldn't. So get he one. said he had the opportunity to buy the Colts. Um, the NFL said that they would never let him in the league. Oh. So, yeah, th- that's kind of the whole undercurrent of this whole thing is that was this an entire ploy just to get a team in the NFL? Because there's, uh, again, I can't prove any of this. And who knows, you know, with everybody just hates Donald Trump. So who knows what is yeah. true and what isn't? It's really hard to put it together now because, like, it's easy to just talk trash on Donald Trump. Right. 
But allegedly, um, he was building, he wanted to build a big stadium, a Trump stadium in New York City and have an NFL team play in it, which sounds like a lucrative opportunity. I actually remember because I read um, before his first presidency, I read Art of the Deal and I remember him referencing it in the book, like the USFL, like entire thing. Yeah. But I don't remember if that was like before or after. He seemed real upset about it regardless. He does not like the NFL. Well, and he was interviewed. There's a 30 for 30 uh, on ESPN, which is like these little short documentaries about different sporting things. They did oh, one yeah, on the USFL. Oh, yeah, those are actually really cool. Yeah. So really there's cool. one on the USFL. I have to say it's really kind of lacking in its information. Um hmm. But they do interview Donald Trump, like in 2012, I think, or something like that, yeah. to talk about the um, to talk about it. And he just he the thing he says is he calls it small potatoes. He's like the USFL was small potatoes. I do an awful Donald Trump impression, obviously. Um, it all goes back to Alex Jones. <laughs> it actually was Alex Jones. I did Alex Jones for that. Yeah. Um, but he called it small potatoes. He was like, yeah, it was just a little thing I was doing here and there. Like, it you know, wasn't a big deal. Um, and that really pissed a lot of people off because they were like, small potatoes, you ruined our whole league just because your own ego, like, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> There's a... Mm-hmm. Anyway, I don't want this to be about Donald Trump. This is about United States Football League. Right. So anyway, so the, the trial lasted 42 days and eventually the jury came to a verdict. The jury came back and had determined that the NFL had willingly created and maintained a monopoly and was found guilty on antitrust charges. But the NFL's monopoly was not to blame for the USFL's failure. As such, the jury bestowed damages of $1 to the United States Football League, which under the Sherman Antitrust Act was tripled to $3. Ah. Upon hearing the news, the owner of the New York Giants pulled out his wallet and handed Donald Trump a $1 bill. And with that, Ooh. the USFL died. Ooh. <laughs> Which, Ooh. I love that image. Like, I don't know how there isn't a movie of this. Like, that's such a, like... It's too political. Why did they award a dollar, though? So, there's a lot of conflicting things about that. Um, one, one juror said that because it was so conflicted, they were split down the middle as to, you know, whether, whether or not the NFL had a monopoly. And they said that it was a compromise to, to find the, the NFL guilty, but not penalize them. Okay. Another said that the jury was under the impression that the judge was to set the damages and that by putting $1, they were saying, you know, we have no idea. Just put whatever you want, whatever you think is the right number. Hmm. But did they do any sort of antitrust after this? No. Okay. I mean, also, I don't like... So, the teams in the NFL are individually owned. Yeah. So, could the teams, like, leave at any point if they wanted to? What do you mean? Like, when you say that, like, the USFL or the NFL? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, like, the Atlanta Hawks. Or the Atlanta Falcons, I mean. Yes. Could they just leave the NFL and, like, go to the USFL? Like, was that a possibility at any time? Or, like... Yeah, I would think so. Hmm. I, I think they could. I don't know. I mean, I couldn't say why. What's what, what are you getting at? I'm just trying to figure out how the NFL has a monopoly here. Well, I mean, they, they negotiate as a league to get television contracts. Like, oh, not I guess every team has television to... contracts. It's not like they're forcing anyone out of football. Yeah, that's that's where the monopoly lies. They say that all three networks 
you know, their their fall football contract is with the NFL, and so right. there's nowhere to go, right? Yeah. So, but yeah, after that verdict, um, basically everybody just packed up because they're like, well, you know, a dollar isn't going to pay the bills, and we're not going to make it in the fall. And I and many others think this is a real shame because I think there's definitely a market for spring football. The USFL could have been the Pepsi to the NFL's Coke. You know, you say you want a Coke, they say all we have is Pepsi. You know, it's springtime. Okay, I'll take sure. I'll take the Pepsi. Yeah. I'll take I'll take the USFL. <laughs> yeah. Um. Also, I will point out that when this league was created, it greatly increased the salaries of NFL players because you know competition is always good for employees, and at the end of the day. Football players are employees of these leagues. It never, it's never a good thing to work at a monopoly either. So the the NFL was like, we can't lose you guys to the AFL or the or the U or not the AFL. We can't lose you guys to the USFL. I've said USFL so many times, Cayman. How are you still on USFL. the AFL? That was the first time that I messed it up. AFL was. American Football League. Yeah, that was a thing, and it 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 merged with the NFL. So there was already a, a um right a precedent for for rival leagues to get absorbed into the NFL. Yeah. So, All I right. mean, that was kind of on people's minds. So yeah, that's the end of the USFL, and uh, I've got a couple after notes. Oh, that's neat. I I I actually didn't know anything about that story, so that's that's a neat thing to learn. And yep. look at us. We're a sports podcast now. Hey, we did sports. Next tr- next week, we're covering Barry Bonds. Yeah. And, um, and OJ Simpson, but not what you're thinking of. Just the sports stuff. Just the sports just stuff. The sports just the sports stuff, stuff with OJ Simpson. Just the naked gun stuff, actually. Yeah. His, his role as an actor, and then we're going to stop. <laughs> yeah. And we're going to say, kidding. what happened I'm to not... OJ? I don't know. I couldn't even <laughs> Google it. It's weird. I'm not sure how long it will be again until we do another sports topic. So, and if you enjoyed this, let us know. Yeah. Um, so after notes, um, sourcing NFL archive footage is super expensive. Uh, as a result, many television shows and films source their football footage from USFL archives instead. <laughs> it's been seen in Friday Night Lights, uh, political ads, Scientology ads, and most importantly... The SpongeBob SquarePants episode Band Geeks, where they perform in the Bubble Bowl. And it's sweet, sweet, sweet victory. victory. Yeah, yeah that that's USFL great. footage. Huh. So we've just discovered the real reason that the NFL didn't want to play that at the Super Bowl. I wonder, I wonder if that had anything to do with it. I doubt it, because why would they care? But maybe. Um, and the rest of my afternotes are basically going to be a big ad for the book Football for a Buck by Jeff Perlman. And I hope that title makes more sense now. Football for a Buck, because yeah. they, they got it. Cause they got it. Right, because they got, well, I mean, actually, oh, they got three yeah. bucks. But yeah. Oh, actually, they got like $3 and some odd cents because they also got, um, uh, uh, what's it called? Interest. They got interest. Oh. Mm, okay. Now they're really rolling on it then. Um, so do yourself a favor, pick up the book, because I'm, I'm just going to run through these things. I don't have time to fle- flesh any of them out. But here's some of the things that are in the book that I did not get the opportunity to talk about. The Tampa Bay Bandits. Cayman, I told you you're going to change your mind about the Bandits. Yes, sir. They were partially owned by Burt Reynolds. I also told you keep Burt Reynolds in mind. Cool. Partially owned by Burt Reynolds, uh, who they brought in on a stagecoach. Uh, yes. What? Um, like he was the mascot? <laughs> No, their mascot was the bandit who rode on a horse named Smokey. Smokey. Okay, yeah. 
<laughs> yep. Okay, that's pretty cool. And Steve Spurrier, uh, famous football coach even today, was yeah. their coach. Really? Yes. That is wild. Right? Yeah, that's, okay, that's actually really neat. Right? So they they were like kind of seen as like the most successful team. They weren't the most po- like they didn't have the biggest crowds. Um but like they they actually turned a profit. Like they were doing yeah. really well because they would they would do like cool halftime stuff. Like they they built a community in Tampa Bay. Yeah. And they had Burt Reynolds, so. Yeah. That's all you need. Rest in peace. RIP. So I didn't get the opportunity to talk about the Boston Breakers, who would do a thing where uh, you could send in a play, like you could mail in an idea for a trick play, and they would do it every week. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, I didn't get to talk about the Houston Gamblers, whose coach told all of his players that they would either use steroids or they were off his team. Um, mm, I didn't get to talk nice. about the fact that the Houston Gamblers held their meetings at a strip club or had a cool. party mansion or right. would pass out alcohol and pain pills on their flights home or had a player who never played without being stoned. He Wait, once, what team? Uh, no, I'm sorry. He played without being stoned one time and he played awful. What, what team was this again? This is the Houston Gamblers. Houston represent. I also wow. didn't get to talk about the San Antonio Gunslingers, whose owner made the halftime show his tone-deaf daughter singing every week, mm. uh, or that the coach was legitimately senile and called his team the wrong name and would watch the games from the stands because he said he could see better. <laughs> mm. <laughs> I didn't get the opportunity to talk about the player that put motor oil on his legs after games or there's just so much in this book. Like it's I had to cut a lot. Were they like I know what the answer is going to be already, but were they like mechanical at all? Were they prosthetic? No, no, no. No. It was just motor, just motor oil on your legs. There was a dude that got stabbed in the hand by his girlfriend and then had to play with a stabbed hand. Um, mm, okay. Look, there's a lot, there's a lot of just fun little stories inside <laughs> this bigger story that like, yeah, it didn't make sense to, to include. And there's one talking, there's a lot of drug use. There's a lot of violence. Like people would get into fights on the planes. And mm-hmm. I don't know if that's just standard for like professional sports. And like, I just don't know mm. about it or if this no. just because, you know, these are anyway, um, like there's, there's one part where this person's like, oh yeah, so-and-so would loved steroids and cocaine he was the best player on our team and it's like yeah of course he's the best player on your team he's hyped up on steroids and cocaine so yeah like i said i like that though because you know i feel like the mlb the nba nfl the olympics have spent a lot of time and effort making sure that people aren't doing performance enhancing drugs to keep it fair for everyone Mm -hmm. i would say Make it mandatory. That's easier. And then it's still fair for everyone because they're all on the same drug. That's true, yeah. Exactly. That's a good point. Peak human performance. (laughs) All right. Well, yeah, that's it. Buy the book. It's really solid. Um, And it's not that long either. It's like under 300 pages. Oh, yeah. Well, cool. Cayman, you can borrow my copy. Colin, you can borrow my copy. Cool. Of course. It's highlighted. Well, guys, that was fun. We're going to be back in two weeks, and I'm excited. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at RWYH Podcast and on Instagram at I Really Wish You Hadn't. Got any questions or comments? Email us at podcast at I Really Wish You Hadn't.com. And if you haven't yet, smash that follow button. Please, pretty please. It helps us a lot. I Really Wish You Hadn't is hosted by me, Cayman McMahon, and Michael Bentley. 
were produced by Colin Moore. Intro and outro by Attack Story. Please remember to subscribe and rate us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Until next time, sling that pigskin and run a 2-4 blitz double secret offensive play. And as always, don't do anything <laughs> Michael wouldn't do. Nice. Is that what we're doing? Do you really want to do-